0: Well, recently, during one of my devotional times, I came across Matthew chapter 4. And I was reading the message version of the Bible. That's one of my favorite versions to read. And this chapter was titled, The Test. And the title grabbed my attention because I feel like just about every day since March, we have been tested in some way. A new headline, new information, new guidelines, statistics, things you should do, things you shouldn't do. There is so much going on in our world right now that it can be very overwhelming at times. And we are also still people living our day-to-day lives, and that sometimes comes with other issues. We're dealing with our humanness. We're still going to work and dealing with our jobs, our emotions, our thoughts. And it can be hard sometimes to hold on to God's peace and His presence when so much seems unsettling and out of control. Matthew 4, 1 through 11, gives us an awesome way to respond in times of testing. Beginning in verse 1, it says, Next, Jesus was taken into the wild by the Spirit for the test, and the devil was ready to give it. Jesus prepared for the test by fasting 40 days and 40 nights. That left him, of course, in a state of extreme hunger, which the devil took advantage of in the first test. Since you are God's son, speak the word that will turn these stones into loaves of bread. Jesus answered by quoting Deuteronomy It takes more than bread to stay alive. It takes a steady stream of words from God's mouth. For the second test, the devil took him to the holy city. He sat him on top of the temple and said, Since you are God's son, jump. The devil goaded him by quoting Psalm 91. He has placed you in the care of angels. They will catch you so that you won't so much as stub your toe on a stone. And Jesus countered with another citation from Deuteronomy. Don't you dare test the Lord your God. For the third test, the devil took him to the peak of a huge mountain. He gestured expansively, pointing out all the earth's kingdoms, how glorious they all were. Then he said, they're yours, lock, stock, and barrel. Just go down on your knees and worship me, and they're yours. Jesus' refusal was curt. Beat it, Satan. He backed his rebuke rebuke with a third quotation from Deuteronomy. Worship the Lord your God and only him. Serve him with absolute single-heartedness. The test was over. The devil left. And in his place, angels. Angels came and took care of Jesus' needs. In every one of these tests, Jesus responded with scripture. He responded with the very words of God. Obviously, Jesus knew God's words very well. He had a relationship with his father and was able to recall the words he needed to speak into each of these testing situations. Verse 4 says, Jesus answered. Jesus didn't silently disagree with Satan. He answered him out loud, and he answered him from the word of God. When Jesus quotes Deuteronomy 8.3, Jesus shows that every word that proceeds from the mouth of God should be more precious to us than food itself. Some translations of these verses read, The Scriptures Say, or It Is Written. By relying on the power and truth of God's word, Jesus was willing to fight this battle as a man. He could have easily rebuked Satan into another galaxy, but instead he resisted him in a way that we can imitate and we can identify with. Jesus used scripture to battle Satan's test, not some elaborate spiritual power that is inaccessible to us. He could have stood against Satan with a display of his own glory. He could have stood against Satan with logic and reason, but instead, Jesus used the word of God as a weapon. And the weapon was effective because he understood it. We can effectively go through testing times in the same way Jesus did, by countering Satan's lies by shining the light of God's truth upon them. However, if we are ignorant of God's truth, then we will be poorly armed for any fight or test that may come our way. For it is written, and scriptures say, are phrases that the enemy can use too. The enemy quotes scripture, but he uses it out of its context to confuse and deceive those he is testing. In the verses from Matthew 4 that we read, the devil quoted Psalm 91, 11, and 12 to Jesus, but he took it out of context to say, go ahead, Jesus, and jump. If you do this, the Bible promises that angels will rescue you. But that text is falsely quoted because the devil left out the words to keep you in all your ways. This text is wrongly applied, and it was used to deceive. That scripture is not a promise of special protection over us to give us the freedom to just voluntarily throw ourselves into dangerous situations. Jesus understood from his knowledge of the whole counsel of God that Satan was twisting this passage from Psalm 91. Jesus knew how to correctly explain the word of truth. And it is important for each Christian to know the Bible for themselves and to not be deceived by someone who quotes the Bible but not accurately or with correct application. As I was thinking about Matthew 4 and studying these verses, a thought kept coming up in my spirit, and it was this. Don't forsake the value of the secret place. And I thought that was an interesting way to phrase it. The word value means the regard that something is held to deserve, the importance, worth, or usefulness of something. It also means a person's principles or standards of behavior one's judgment of what is important in life. It means to consider someone or something to be important or beneficial or to have a high opinion of. And the word forsake means to abandon, renounce, or give up. Holy Spirit was urging me to remember the importance and benefits of the secret place and not to give up its value or its worth in my life. And I think that is an awesome reminder for all of us as we continue navigating these times that we're in. Depending upon the Bible translation used, the term secret place can appear dozens of times in both the Old and the New Testaments. Some translations use the word shelter, covering, or dwelling rather than secret place. The word is used in Psalm 32:7, which says, you are my hiding place you will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. The secret place most often means the way our soul is in its relationship with God. Psalm 27:5 says, for he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. This tent of God is of course, not a piece of camping equipment or an ancient desert dwelling but it's actually the word seether in Hebrew and refers to a place to hide or be concealed, a secret place. In the New Testament, in Matthew 6, 6, Jesus instructs us to go to a quiet place, a secret place, a room with the door shut when we pray. He is not telling us necessarily about a physical location to pray, but a secret place in our lives set aside for one-on-one time with God, a place of solitude, Jesus set the example by often going away from his followers to spend time alone with God. And we see this in Matthew 14, Jesus had just received some terrible news that King Herod had ordered the beheading of John the Baptist. When Jesus got the news, Matthew 14:13 says, he slipped away by boat to an out-of-the-way place by himself. When he was faced with tragic, heartbreaking news, Jesus knew he needed to get away, to be alone with his father. But as Jesus was trying to get away, the crowds continued to follow him by foot. And so scripture says he had compassion on them and healed their sick. He took care of them, ordering his disciples to feed the people a miraculous meal. This is when the miracle happened of the feeding of the thousands of people with the five loaves of bread and two fish After Jesus had prayed for the people and fed them until they were satisfied, he finally did what he needed to do. And verse 23 says, with the crowd dispersed, he climbed the mountain so he could be by himself and pray. He stayed there alone late into the night. So we see that during his time of ministry, Jesus often went away to pray. He needed to temporarily escape the press of the crowd and the multitude of needs. If you want to be infused with strength, grace, peace, hope. You need a secret place. A few moments of time that you can spend in his presence. When we spend time with someone, we learn more about them, and we even begin to become like them. When we spend time alone with God, we learn more about him, and it is also a way he transforms us to become more like him. Romans 8, 5 through 8 says, those who think they can do it on their own end up obsessed with measuring their own moral muscle, but never get around to exercising it in real life. Those who trust God's action in them find that God's spirit is in them, living and breathing God. Obsession with self in these matters is a dead end. Attention to God leads us out into the open, into a spacious, free life. Focusing on the self is the opposite of focusing on God. Anyone completely absorbed in self ignores God, ends up thinking more about self than God. That person ignores who God is and what he is doing, and God isn't pleased at being ignored. The idea of a secret place is not a call to make our spiritual lives secretive or private. Rather, having a secret place is an intentional decision to establish a routine that includes time with God. Reading the Bible, praying, and listening to him. I read a quote recently that said, unfortunately, there are many Christians today giving their opinions and interpretations of a book they stopped reading a long time ago. Don't be one of those people. This secret place where we meet with God one-on-one is where we should find ourselves often. Psalm 91 that we alluded to earlier says he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide In the shadow of the Almighty, I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Abiding in God, we find shelter, refuge, and fortress. It is in the secret place that we are most vulnerable with God and most deeply experience his intimate love. When we truly live in the secret place, it becomes impossible for us to doubt God. We become more sure of him than of anyone or anything else. Enter into the secret place and you will find that God was right in the middle of your everyday circumstances all the time. There are some moments that only Jesus knows about. Times where he whispered to your heart things that you needed to hear. Times where he infused you with strength to get through the moment. You build memories with him and you establish a history with him as you continue your relationship with him in the secret place. Some memories only you and him know about. 1 Samuel 17:36 is the story of David and Goliath. Goliath was mocking the Israelites, and David comes in and says, Why are you letting him mock you and our God? We can take this giant. And everyone around him said, You're out of your mind. What makes you think that we can take him? And David replied, Well, I fought a lion and a bear, and I took them. And his brothers were like, Sure you did, David. <laughs> But David knew he was a shepherd all by himself, tending his sheep. No one saw him fight a lion and bear, but God did. He had an established history. You may be one that can say, let me tell you something no one knows but God. I have fought a lion and a bear in the secret places where no one knows. When the enemy came to attack, when he came for my children, but God is mighty to save. You become a warrior in the secret place, fighting when no one was watching but God. Don't forget what God did for you in the secret place. In the secret place, he shapes you, he teaches you, he strengthens you. Don't forsake the value of those times. The secret place causes us to be more aware of his presence And in his presence, we quit focusing on our problems and we start seeing answers in his perspective. We need to see how he sees and say what he says. And we do that through worship, prayer, and encountering Jesus. The secret place is a time where we can go up into his presence so that we can come back into our situation with wisdom from above. We saw it in the earlier example of Jesus climbing the mountain to get away and spend time with God. He needed to get away, to climb higher, to get God's perspective. And we also see this in Exodus 24 in the life of Moses. We see that Moses, too, went up a mountain. He experienced God's presence, and he came back with a plan. He didn't do this with a group of people. Moses did this on his own, just Moses and God. Exodus 24, 12 through 18 says, God said to Moses, Climb higher up the mountain and wait there for me. I'll give you tablets of stone, the teachings and commandments that I've written to instruct them. So Moses got up, accompanied by Joshua, his aide, and Moses climbed up the mountain of God. He told the elders of Israel, Wait for us here until we return to you. You have Aaron and her with you. If there are any problems, go to them. Then Moses climbed the mountain. The cloud covered the mountain. The glory of God settled over Mount Sinai. The cloud covered it for six days. On the seventh day, he called out of the cloud to Moses. In the view of the Israelites below, the glory of God looked like a raging fire at the top of the mountain. Moses entered the middle of the cloud and climbed the mountain. Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. Moses climbed the mountain, and he stayed a while in the presence, and he had a mountaintop encounter with God. When God was ready to give the people the law, Moses climbed higher up the mountain, and he stayed there, close to God, literally in his very presence. And then when he climbed back down to the people, he carried with him the stone tablets, the Ten Commandments, the laws to live by, that all the people needed to know. Moses had an amazing mountaintop secret place experience with God. Those who spend time in the secret place come back changed and empowered. They come back ready to work for God's vision and to make that vision a reality. Secret place experiences are carried in the heart and are sustained when we share what we have experienced with others. I have shared many times about the miraculous healings that have occurred in our family. And most of you are familiar with our son Jaden's miracle. But I wanna share today about one aspect of that time where I needed to get away and get into the presence of God. I'm gonna share with you now what was probably my darkest moment during that time. And just to briefly preface this for those who may not be familiar, our son Jaden was having a surgery related to his cleft palate. And we had taken a very healthy active, spunky, just fun-loving boy in for this surgery. And the days after the surgery were just a whirlwind of one thing after another going horribly wrong. Um, In the days following the surgery, our son couldn't breathe on his own and he had to be intubated. He couldn't walk, uh, let alone sit up. He couldn't swallow. He was being fed through a feeding tube and all of his organs were in failure. He was in septic shock. No one knew why. No one could figure out why this was happening. It was heartbreaking. Jaden was sad, he was mad, he was frustrated, and we all were too. And finally, uh, 11 days after the surgery, we got Jaden's MRI results back. And that morning, I had woken up with a song in my heart that I know was given to me by the Holy Spirit. It was Jesus' blood never fails me. We sang it here at Easter probably about 10 years ago, and I don't think we've sung it since. It's not a song that's in my usual play rotation of songs. So for it to just be in my mind out of the blue lets me know that it was prompted by Holy Spirit that day. We got the MRI results late that afternoon. The neurology team came to get me and took me to a conference room, and. There were at least 20 doctors and surgeons sitting around this long conference table, and then there were that many more people surrounding it in a second row of chairs. So when I walked in, immediately my red flags were up. Mark was on his way to the hospital, but he hadn't arrived yet, and the doctors didn't wait for him to start talking. So the first words out of the neurologist's mouth was, this is not the news I hope to share with you today. And the MRI showed that Jaden had a legion that was bleeding on his brain on the nerves that control swallowing and affect his strength and balance. So this gave us answers as to why he was having the balance and swallowing issues, but definitely not the answers we were expecting or wanted. Jaden essentially had a stroke during surgery, but no one knew. And this is when they told me that he may never regain his swallow or complete function of his left side, they started showing me pictures and explaining different scenarios, but at one point I was just feeling completely overwhelmed. It was information overload, and I put my hand up and I said, Good God, I need you to stop. And the doctor looked at me, and I think he could read the expression on my face, and he said, The meeting's over. I ran out of the room, down the hallway towards Jaden's room, and I was sobbing, and the social worker tried to follow me, and I probably not so politely, told her to go away and leave me alone. But I knew that I needed to gather my thoughts and emotions. I knew that I needed to get some time with Jesus. I needed some higher perspective. So I I sat on a small couch in Jaden's hospital room, and I just, really, I just sat there and cried and prayed. And it was in those moments I remembered I had woken up that morning with the song, Jesus' blood never fails me. His blood always speaks a better word. Did I think differently now that we had the MRI results? And I realize that doctors don't give false hope, they don't make promises, they just give facts. But the hope I have in Jesus is an anchor to my soul. And we sing the song here, he's not a man that he would lie, his promises are good. And his blood does speak a better word. And I was reminded in that moment of the other song we sing, Don't waste the blood that was shed for you. Decree the power of my blood. And it was just so interesting to me in that time that here we heard the words from the doctors about he has an active brain bleed. And then God was turning the words around and saying, You decree the power of my blood over that brain bleed. So I allowed Jesus to minister to my heart. And Holy Spirit was able to encourage and comfort me because I got myself into the secret place. I took a few moments to get into his presence. Right there in that little hospital room, God gave me the words I needed to decree into this circumstance. And so every time I share about Jaden's miraculous healing and how I got myself into the secret place for a few moments, I become empowered with that boldness all over again. And I go back to that place where I was strengthened by his words and by his promise and I recognize the value of the Secret Place experience I had during that time. My prayer for each of you today is that you will build an amazing history of Secret Place experiences that teach you, change you, shape you, empower you with the God-breathed words that you can speak into situations or times of testing, that you build those experiences that you can pull from. We need to go high into his presence so we can come back with his perspective and his plans. Just like the song we sang earlier today, one of the values of the secret place is that his presence goes before us and behind us and it surrounds us. Hold on to the presence. Hold on to what God reveals to you. Hold on to what God places in your hands and then at the right time, you can release it into the atmosphere or into your situation. When Moses held the staff at the right time, slaves stepped into freedom. When Joshua held the javelin, they took possession of the promise. When David held five stones and a slingshot, a giant was slayed. When Gideon and his men held the torches and trumpets, the enemy was defeated. To truly be after God's heart, don't let go of his presence.
1: Another benefit
0: of spending time in the secret place is you begin to know God by name. Most of us probably have a picture that comes to mind when we hear the name of God or Jesus or Holy Spirit. And that picture is based on our experience with him, our relationship with him. The time we spend with him reveals different aspects of who he is. David is an awesome example of knowing and pursuing God. He was even called a man after God's own heart. David finally became king at the age of 30. After years of literally running for his life and hiding in caves, he was recognized as king. But his days of struggle weren't over. His next obstacle was the most fortified city in the land at the time. David needed to conquer Jerusalem and defeat the Philistines. Many things must have confused David over his years of running and hiding, but 2 Samuel 5.12 says, David knew that the Lord has established him as king over Israel, and had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people Israel. David knew. You may be going through a confusing time. You may not know how God is going to use a situation in your life or why certain things have happened to you, but you can encourage and strengthen yourself by remembering what you do know about God in the midst of uncertainties. David would never know for sure why certain events happened in his life but he knew God had done exactly what he promised. What we store up in our personal time with God, he reminds us of in the storm. He's got a place to pull from when we have things stored in our heart. In confusing times, recounting what we know refreshes us. In Psalms 144, verses 1 and 2, David calls God by names he knew. Praise be to the Lord, my rock who trains my hands for war, my fingers for battle. He is my loving God and fortress, my stronghold and deliverer, my shield in whom I take refuge, who subdues people under me. For all of David's needs, his God had a name because David knew him. And we too can know God by a name for every need. The names David called his God fell from the lips of experience from things he knew, from things he learned in the secret place, just spending time with God. Sometimes we stand to learn the most about God from situations we understand the least. A few years ago, God whispered to me these words, I just want you to know who I am. And it was just that simple phrase, but it sent me on a journey of exploring and studying the names of God and who I personally knew him to be. So I could write verses like David declaring who I know God to be to me. I could say, praise be to my God and King who comforts, who heals, who sustains me, my rock, my source, my strength, my peace, my hope, my joy, my healer, my redeemer, my breath, my dance, the one who hears my cry. Who is God to you? What names do you know him by? A people pursuing God in the secret place. Know him by name. Psalm 18 compels us to see that God is a personal God we can each call our own. He is my strength when I am weak. He is my rock when I am slipping. He is my deliverer when I am trapped. He is my fortress when I am crumbling. He is my refuge when I am pursued. He is my shield when I am exposed. He is my Lord when life spins out of control. When we are faced with something we don't understand, never forget how God identifies himself. Exodus 34, 5 through 6 says, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. When you don't know why, a personal history and relationship with God will tell you who. When David comes to the end of his life, we see a man who had known virtually every human experience. He had unparalleled success. He also had unabashed rebellion. He had unashamed mourning, and he also had uninhibited celebration. And that can probably describe many of us today, too. I seem to either be in the valley, on top of the mountain, or most often in between those two. And I like this quote that says, my earthly circumstances Can be in the valley, but my awareness of God can take me to the mountain. While David lived a life of extremes, he learned to meet God at every venture, every high, every low, and every stop in between. I know that's how I want to live my life. And a big part of that is cultivating and not forsaking the value of the secret place. There is a call in the Spirit to literally ascend and by faith enter into the heavenly realms to see life from heaven's perspective and enter into the presence and throne of God. In Colossians 3, 1 through 3, it says, since you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. So how do we do this? How do we approach the heavenly places, this secret place? Hebrews 4.16 tells us, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We can enter into the secret place with boldness and confidence when we look to Jesus and set our gaze firmly on him. We seek God, we worship, we come to him with our petitions and intercessions, which is all good, and then he also calls us to follow him deeper. Psalm 46, 10 says, be still and know I am God. Part of being in the presence of God includes waiting. Rest in his presence. Be still and know. If you are weary, discouraged, worn out, remember what he promises you in Isaiah 40:31: but those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. When we wait upon him, we are lifted into his presence and heaven touches our hearts. And this is where we can experience divine revelations and visions as we enter into his presence in a stronger and deeper way. This is where we find the strength and courage to carry on. Enter into the secret place and his love will overflow into you and out into the world. Be still and know he is there waiting for you wanting to bless and fill you with his love, with his comfort, with his peace. There is so much value and there are so many benefits to the secret place, but I want to highlight just a few. Number one, he will direct your paths. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 is a familiar passage to many of us. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. In verse 5, we're told to trust the Lord and not to trust our own understanding. And those two things are mutually exclusive. In other words, if we trust in the Lord, we cannot also depend upon our own ability to understand everything God is doing. 1 Corinthians 13 12 says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. We only see part of the picture that God is painting. If we are to truly trust him, we have to let go of our ideas and our plans. I think most of us have a desperate desire to understand, but in so many areas, we just have to acknowledge that we simply can't. Isaiah 55, 8 through 9 tells us why we often don't understand what God is doing. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So God sees the whole picture while sometimes we only see our tiny corner of it. To trust in the Lord with all our heart means we can't place what we may feel is our own right to understand above his right to direct our lives into our destiny and into our purpose. He knows all, and because of that, we can trust him. God created you. He loves you. He knows you better than you even know yourself. The fact that he is all-knowing gives him the ability to see what lies ahead. And because of this, he knows what we need in order to fully be the person he has created us to be. Because of this, he also knows what needs to take place and which direction we need to go in order to receive the blessings he wants to give us. The meaning of he will direct your paths is to make them straight, even, pleasant, and prosperous. It doesn't mean that nothing in life will ever go wrong, but rather even the bad things will be bearable because God is sharing the load with you and you know he has an amazing reward planned for you. When you are regularly spending time in the secret place, you are positioning yourself into a place where God can speak to you, lead you, and guide you in the direction you should go. Number two, in the secret place, God will speak what is true over you. A lot of different voices try to give input as to who you are or what your purpose is. Let the one who made you tell you what you're made of and what you're made for. Here's what he says about you from his word He calls you beloved, you are his treasured possession, you are his child. You are free. You have been redeemed. You have been and will be restored. You have been and can be forgiven. And that's not all. Your God, the one Hebrews thirteen eight tells us is forever unchanging. He not only names you, he pursues you and he cares for you personally. He desires that one-on-one time with you. He knew each of your days before you were conceived. He has your name written on the palm of his hands. It is your name, which he has called mine. It is your head on which he numbers each strand of hair, and your tears of which he keeps count. It is you for whom he died while you were yet a sinner. It was your sin that held Jesus on the cross, his love for you, his great and sovereign love for the world he created." The stories, all part of the great story, whisper with every word a message directly from his heart to yours, I am God, you are mine, abide in me. Run to him and rest firmly in his promises. And number three, when you spend time in the secret place, God will define your heart rather than circumstances. Most of you have heard my testimony, and I'm not going to go over all the details this morning, but after experiencing five miscarriages and all the loss and emotions of going through that, there were a lot of things trying to define my heart, but anger couldn't define my heart when I spent time in the secret place and I handed that anger to the helper, and he said, I'm going to reverse that, and he helped me back to joy because God takes what was meant for evil and he turns it for good. Confusion couldn't define my heart when I would run my confusion to the counselor. And he actually counseled me on what he sees and what is to come. And he gave me his perspective. He told me after my fifth loss that that was the last one, that there wouldn't be any more loss. So when I became pregnant after my fifth miscarriage, Fear couldn't define my heart when I got into the secret place and took that fear to the comforter, and he comforted me into peace with the promise that he had spoken to me that there would be no more loss. I had so much promise that there was no room for fear. When worry tries to creep into my heart, I just take a few moments to get away, and the Lord says, worry does not have to define your heart, cast your cares on me because I care for you. And then I can become overwhelmed with peace instead of anxiousness. Spending time in the secret place does this. Fill your mind with what his word says, with what is true and authentic. Spend time with him consistently. Pray, read his word, worship him, pursue his presence. If you're feeling discouraged and disheartened, it's probably time to check in with God. Sometimes it's as simple as saying Jesus and letting his presence soak down into your spirit. I stand here today as a testimony of his grace, of his mercy, of his faithfulness, as someone who has learned to take life situations and say, I know what it looks like, but God. I know there doesn't seem to be a way, but I also know that God will make a way. I know you may feel discouraged, but God is at work in your life. We may feel weak, but God makes us strong. We may be in a storm, but God causes us to rise above. You may feel broken, but God makes us new and beautiful. You may be sick in spirit, soul, or body, but God is our healer. You may be here today clothed in garments of loss, hope deferred, a spirit of heaviness. You may be weary, but God sent his son, it says in Isaiah 61, to console those who mourn, to give beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. It doesn't matter what the enemy has done or tried to do or is currently trying to do. You can shake off the remnants of those tattered garments, and you can be reclothed, and you can be redefined. I'd like to ask the worship team to go ahead and come up. You may be struggling with your purpose and destiny, but God knows the plans he has for you, and they're good with a future filled with hope. God is still well able to fulfill the promises that he has for you. He is still well able to step into a situation and reverse it suddenly. Allow your expectation of God to be renewed and let your heart be defined by what he says. Vow today to continue pursuing him and his heart by spending time with him. Build those moments and those memories with him. Don't forsake the value of the secret place.